Adam, would you like to introduce yourself? No. Welcome to WP Tonic Live, episode 56, with special guest Anka Mosul. Anka is the founder of Tech Liminal in Oakland, California. She graduated from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, that's MIT, with a bachelor's degree in computer science in uh, 1995, I think, and uh, she brings 20 years plus of computer science and technology out here to California. We're in Nevada, though. Anka, did I get that right? Yeah. But that's a good start, I guess. Jonathan, take it away, introduce our guest. All right. Anika, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to introduce our, our, our normal panel. Can you like to introduce yourself, Sally? Sure. My name is Sally Getch, rhymes with sketch. Uh, my business is WP Fangirl. Uh, I'm also the organizer of the East Bay WordPress uh, meetup. And uh, Anka is the, uh, we ha- have our meetup at Tech Liminal, Anka's technology salon. And this past uh, weekend, we hosted our very first WordPress contributor day. Oh, great. Um, John, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. I'm John Locke, an independent WordPress developer from Sacramento, California, and I operate as Lockdown Design. Oh, great. Adam, would you like to introduce yourself? No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be like that, please. I'm I'm Adam, so I'm sorry I'm late. I actually only stay about half an hour. I almost forgot. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going on tonight. I'm Adam Silver. I run the South Bay WordPress meetup in Southern California. I also run uh, Kitchen Sink WP podcast, and I'm co-organizing WordCamp LA, which is in about three and a half weeks. Yeah, but I'm going to Cobble Cobble Press right before that. So, woo! Hey, hey, quick reminder: hashtag WP Tonic Live. You can look right there on your Twitter account, and you can go live and watch it. If you're, you wouldn't know to watch it live unless you get it from the from the tweet, but it's live out there. Yeah, but I'm basically. And we got a viewer. Yeah. If you've got any questions, just use the hashtag and the wizard, my co-host, Bill, will be um, looking at the Twitter feed and um, anything comes up, we will be asking our guests and our panelists questions that come up. Let's see if there's any way I can abuse Adam. Yeah, basically we're using it as a tool to abuse Adam, so that that should be okay. (laughs) What can we write about Adam? Uh, So basically... um, I thought we would discuss you know, WordPress training and you also utilizing WordPress in general, general educational establishments. Um, Annika, you, you, I think you got your mic in moot, actually. Oh, there yeah, you go. I muted myself while you guys are talking. Radio. Um, a lot of people would like to do that. <laughs> so, um, Annika, you know, you you've got a lot of experience, you know, founding your co-working and your training centre in Oakland. So, what would you say are some some of the things you've learned? What are some of the difficulties about training people generally in WordPress and technology? Well, I think that it's uh, training people with technology and in WordPress specifically, uh, everybody comes from a different place when they first start out. So, for example, I'm a developer. So when I started looking at WordPress, I looked at how does the code work? Where do you put all the stuff? But other people are more interested in publishing or writing blog posts. So um, one of the things that I've discovered uh, training people who absolutely know nothing about web development and all the way from people who do is that there's different approaches and different things that, um, that they need to, to find out. So a lot of the um, type of training that we do here is a lot of one-on-one stuff. Um, we do support group style things so that there's always uh, multiple people who are at the same level who might have similar questions. 
um, and I always try to ask people to, to reframe either their question or what they're trying to accomplish in different ways so that they can start to see and understand all the different components that go into building a, a WordPress website or being successful at using or developing for WordPress. Right, Ali, is, is there, you know, I, I understand totally what you just said, you know, it depends on their background and their experience, but are, is, is it also you're dealing with expectation and how you deal with their expectations? Yes, the expectation of WordPress, it should be easy. Uh, I think we've all heard that before. It's not. Um, <laughs> Oh, she's gone. <laughs> Maybe she had enough. <laughs> she's still there. Oh, she's still there. What about uh, what about you, Adam? She was trapped in an expectation. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Adam? What's your experience of teaching people? Uh, um, oh, I don't like people anymore. I decided as of this morning. I'm out. No. I'm going to I'm going to Drupal joining that camp. No, I'm kidding. Oh, you're never going to do that. No. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, is it Annika or is it Anka? How do you say pronounce your name? Anka. Anka, I make sure I, I heard it incorrectly. So, Anka, yeah, it's everyone comes into WordPress with different experiences. I teach the one-on-one class in my South Bay Delta school, and I have 15 students every semester. I start another one in a month. You know, you never know. I've had people in there from MIT who are really smart and don't get the concept of a database-driven website. Blows me away. Um, but I've got people in there that know more about internet marketing or have made more money than me. But it depends on what they want to do with the tool, and that's what it is. It's a tool. So, do the best I can with keeping it. Moving forward, teaching at time learning, because you're not going to know it all, period. There's no way you know it all, unless you're like, you know, uh, Morton or Matt. All right. What about you, Sally? What's your experiences of trying to t- teach people? Uh, well, I've, and- I've done a handful of uh, experiences in, in teaching um, for, I taught like three, four sessions of uh, introductory WordPress classes for Media Bistro, which you record a series of instructional videos. Uh, at first it was four weeks. We expanded it to six weeks. Uh, and then once a week you also meet live with your students and they use Moodle for interacting with the with the students. And, um, you know, I said, you know, most of your people are like writers and editors and don't you think it would be easier if, if we did a class on wordpress.com no 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 we have to do self-hosted wordpress and you know the first time around oh, hey morton uh, the first time around i started out uh, trying to make everybody do a manual install because i always install wordpress manually I, I believe in that but it was such a disaster i'm like no Okay, a couple of things. First, we try to direct everyone over to managed hosting and get somebody else to install their WordPress because these are not people who want to learn how to be developers. And mm-hmm. so, it, you know, it was it was an experience every time. People struggled with different things. I, I tried to put themes off as far as I could because everyone will have a different theme and different questions and you can could spend six weeks just looking for a theme if, if, if you're not sure what you want or, or how these things work. Um, so uh, it is a challenge teaching WordPress to people who may not be technical. I mean, I had one student where, like, I had to tell him how to open a zip file. Uh, so it may be, you know, it, it, it's not like dealing with people who maybe come from other uh, web development backgrounds or anything, but people who come from really nothing. And it is hard. I mean, you know, if you set up a 
blog on WordPress.com. That's fairly simple. Uh, you know, a lot of people can can do that pretty easily with without you know if, if they don't want to customize anything. But um, you know, it's it's a complete myth that WordPress is easy in any kind of abstract way versus you know easier than some things we have had to deal with before. Yeah, thanks, Sally. What about you, John? Was your great experience of trying to train people, or has it just been clients, client usage? Well, clients, um, you know, but also, uh, you know, like design partners uh, that you work with a lot of the time, um, if you're working with different themes or different uh, screen layouts, like in the admin, uh, a lot of the time, like, say those people aren't necessarily used to finding what they're looking for. And so you, most of it, it comes down to like listening and, you know, uh, finding where they're at and what their level of expertise is. And then, you know, having the patience to, you know, just work with them and, and figure out like what they're seeing and um, explain it to them in a way that they can, you know, easily uh, get it. So I think a lot of it just comes down to empathy and just patience. Oh, well, that's where I'll go, Ron, then. Um, I see that Morton has joined us. Are you going to unmute yourself, Morton? Oh, thanks. Can you introduce yourself, Morton, to the audience? Sure. (laughs) They let him out of his box. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I just got back to North America. Um, My name is Morton. I work for uh, Linda.com at LinkedIn. And... uh, (laughs) I returned from Poland yesterday, so my brain is barely functioning. Yeah, no, the box is over there in the other room. I'm not oh, are you free there? That's the Polish. I was going to speak Polish with you, Morton, but I guess not. Yeah, no, no my Polish is uh, restricted to vodka with a nice. W. Nice. All right. Um, well, can I put this to Morton? You know, obviously... You know, you do a lot of training um, with Linda, and you do a lot of training um, face-to-face, I think, to some degree. Do you think there's any particular is – it, is it anything particular to WordPress that might make it a little bit more difficult? Or is it just that the audience is so wide and they have very different um, expectations and skill ability that you find might be one of the difficulties about teaching WordPress, Morton? I think maybe the biggest challenge, both in teaching WordPress, but also for the community as a whole, is that a large portion of the people who work with WordPress came to web development and web design through WordPress. They have no experience outside of the WordPress community. Um, And you end up in a situation where uh, the web community, the, the broader web community, is moving in a direction and the WordPress community is largely unaware that that's happening. Um, and you see, you can see that in <clears throat> slightly different ways. Um, a couple of years ago, when the WordPress community started thinking about responsive web design, that was already pretty much established as a standard elsewhere. Um, now there's a lot of discussion in the WordPress community about accessibility, which again has been established elsewhere as a standard already. Um, and in a way, we end up with this kind of catching up situation where we constantly have to say, like, you go to WordPress events and see presentations of content that was presented at other events two or three years ago. Um, And at the WordPress event, it's presented as new. And I think that that's mainly because 
it's it's become an insular community. It's not intentional. It's just that when you come into something like WordPress, which is so easily accessible, so easy to understand, and so easy to start <coughs> to start working with, it's really hard to then go. Actually, no, stop. I'm going to go outside and f- learn something entirely different that seems unrelated to what I'm doing, just so that I get the background information I need. Um, and you know, as a teacher getting people to step out of the WordPress zone. I like to talk about it as an island. Like, it's like people in the WordPress community often treat WordPress as an island alone in a big, vast open sea, while right. in reality, WordPress is more like Switzerland in the middle <laughs> of Europe, where there's stuff happening all, of, all over the place, and you can just walk across the border into something else. Uh, and, you know, there's much bigger things happening. We just have to be aware of it. Yeah. What about you, Anka? Um, you know, do you, because obviously you've got the centre and you do courses and face-to-face coaching, but do you combine it with utilising online um, resources like lynda.com? How, how, do you mix it up a bit with the what you offer? Or? Yeah, well, what we do... Um, well, first I want to kind of respond to some of the stuff that Morton and some of the other folks just said. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that um, when you say that somebody's trying to learn WordPress and some of the web development techniques, most of the people who use WordPress are not web developers. So what they need to know is more about, like, how do you structure your content? How do you create a web experience that people can navigate through, find what they need, do the right things on the, on the site? And a lot of that stuff, um, they don't really have control over how it happens. They have to either choose a theme or pick plugins that make, them, make it easier for them to do that. So on the end user side, you know, it doesn't matter what modern things are going on um, in web development. They're not going to be able to really uh, take advantage of that until somebody builds a thing for them to use. So I would say that most of the people in, in terms of the WordPress community just you know, don't have those tools available because they're not developers and they don't need to be developers. Um, but on the developer side, um, again, yeah, the people who come to web development through WordPress um, are definitely not at the forefront of the bleeding edge. But again, most of the customers are not really bleeding edge. They're not trying to you know, invent new kinds of ways of doing business on the Internet. They're trying to you know, do something that they see other people do. So it's kind of helpful to be able to give them pieces and parts that make sense to them in their context. So to that end, yeah, we do, like, we do recommend people that they you know, watch um, online videos or go through online learning programs. Um, and then, you know, they, when they come to us, they might have read about here's what responsive design is, or they might have read about um, here's why you should use, um, you know, this much stuff in your meta description on your page, but they don't really know how to execute on that. So we help them take that sort of um, information and, and turn it into something they can use um, in, in our one-on-one sessions. So, yeah, so we ask people to review or read or watch or any of that stuff that they can, and then we, we put that into context with them um, so that they know how to take you know, how to take that tool and then apply it. Yeah, um, so, so that's great. Um, what about you, Adam? Because um, I know, you, you know, you, you deal with the kind of business client and then you have your training sessions through the... Um, the meetup groups. Um, do you think there's? Is it just the diverseness of the group, or 
you know, because obviously you've got a very mixed group. You've got, you've got these business people that just want to get something up and they want for some, you know, for expense and other reasons they want to do. And then you may have people that actually want to learn more and maybe looking at it as a second career. Yeah. So, it you know. Should be a first career. No, um, yeah, it's tough. It's a balance. Now, I've learned in the last year about the meetup that I run, specifically to be very specific in the topic, in, the, in the, how I present the title of topic. Because if I don't, and it's advanced, it's, or if it's intermediate to advanced, we'll lose people quickly. They'll show up, and if it's a custom post type that they're not ready for, they're not ready for it. So I'm very, very clear in the subject matter, uh, or the title of my meetup topic. So I try to be, or in the description, at least. I'll say, here's the topic, now go into the description. This is what this is going to be. It might be a little higher level. Come and learn. You'll still learn something. We'll still have some network, some other discussion. But, you know, um, we're not big enough to split into two groups yet. Someone's mentioned that. But there's only a handful of advanced and majority of people beginner intermediate. As far as the businesses that I work with, um, that's a good question. They want the basics to know how to do the basics. You know, um, and, as far, and, it, and it kind of goes back to the students. In my class, I was asked, why are they here? And most of them were there for running small businesses because they've been burned in the past by no one on the panels under under twenty five, right? They know lock okay. So everyone's over twenty. So they've been burned by young people. Younger. I mean, I was there once by twenty five and younger because they got the they bid a low price, thousand dollars or less, to do a site, and they got burned. So now these small business people take my class. They want to learn the basics to know the questions to ask. And I pull back the curtain on everything. Say, so this is what you pay for X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the five weeks, if they want to hire me, they can. They can't hire me for five weeks. But I will tell them up front how I charge, everything in the business model. More often, I pick up a client or two. That's fine. And even as consultant for hourly, I might pick up a site, but not always. I don't rely on that. Um, they need to know the basics of where to find stuff, how to find stuff, who to trust, the questions to ask, so they can run their business better. Beyond that, if they get large enough, then they need to bring somebody else in to manage it for them, either do their content to do um, their backup, security, maintenance programs, all that kind of stuff. That's a separate level that they're not ready for. But it's just a bit of knowing your audience is the key, I think. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Uh, Annika, um, this, um, so if, if you're looking, if you're not that kind of business owner, that basic person, but you're looking for, for web development to become a kind of second career, what, what do you, you know, what's a realistic time? You know, everybody's going to be different, but what are the basic things they need to learn if they're looking to use WordPress and become an active developer? What do you think, you know, what, what do they need to know and and what, how realistic do they have to be? Well, uh, it depends on what career they're starting from. So anybody who's coming to WordPress from a design career is going to be a lot more successful than somebody who's coming to WordPress from a career that doesn't involve, um, you know, design or planning or user experience. Um, so assuming that, you know, they're coming from design, but they don't know web development, or maybe they built HTML sites before in Dreamweaver, um, the main things that, that are important is to understand where the different levers of control exist within WordPress. So when you install a theme um, and you look at the preview for the theme and you see something specific there, it doesn't mean that your website is going to look like that if you don't know how to create the content or configure the theme in the, in the right way. Or, um, well, people themselves are not very precise. So they see two columns and they think, surely we can have three or seven. 
uh, and that's not always possible with the choices that they make in a theme. So I think that the most important thing for, for them to know, and ultimately, like, the more they know, the closer they, they, the, the closer they get to using a theme that's very bare bones and they do their own CSS and they might, like, use their own uh, PHP, stuff like that. But, you know, I try to get them in with, here's how CSS works. You go here and you do this with CSS and here's how you use the web inspector to understand what's going on. Um, and I have, like, several designers who've been coming for a couple of years and are getting much, much better at figuring out how to tweak the CSS on their themes. Um, and then, you know, then how do you change the structure of your, of your site? Well, if you want to put a widget area in the middle of the homepage where there isn't one before, how do you do that? Um, so I think it's really important for them to understand the components that make up WordPress pages, how sidebars and widget areas work, um, how you can organize and sort things by posts. So category pages, um, themes that give you the ability to put posts for certain categories and widget areas so that you can create these multi-column like multi pages that let you put lots of things on them. Um, so, yeah, so knowing how to use the WordPress widgets, knowing how to apply the leverage, knowing how to do a little bit of, a little bit of CSS, um, I think is really important. Um, and then as they want to create something extremely specific, that's when they really have to get into, into the PHP part. Um, and what we've been doing here, and then just the last six months, we've really ramped this up. Uh, we've got a lot of people using the Genesis framework, and am I allowed to talk about how awesome that is? <laughs> so, you know, I've got like 10 people who started off with like, I don't want to learn anything. Now they're all like, oh, I can do the CSS, no problem. Um, and so... We use Genesis because it's it's kind of bare bones from a CSS perspective. You can do a lot of things with it, um, but they provide a lot of really easy ways to, and I say easy, but it's quantified. It's not easy for everybody, but they provide these like little code snippets, and they, they make it very simple. They, they tell you where to put them and then what the effect those things will have. Um, you can exchange components from different child themes, which is really nice. Um, so I'm really like trying to teach people how to use a toolbox that has like half-built Lego things in it that then they can assemble hey, together. I gotta break in real fast. I I gotta break in. Genesis and Dynamic. I mean, I, two years. The best thing I ever did was start off two years ago with Genesis. I'm stuck with it in Dynamic. Showed Jonathan how to make a child theme with the other day with Dynamic. One question. I'm gonna pull back. Yeah. Uh, I got. What do you think of using like Genesis with Dynamic, of course, and then Beaver Builder to build the pages? I'm looking at that, and I I, I teach the uh, newbies in WordPress around here, which Jonathan laughs at me when I do it. <laughs> well, I've never used Dynamic or Beaver Builder, so I don't know what I think about it yet. So. Just, anybody ever done anything? I thought there's a way. That's a page builder, basically, but Dynamic, of course, is your your framework is your page. You know. Yeah, I don't know what. about the two of them. I've certainly heard people talk about using Beaver Builder. Builder with Genesis, but I don't know that that's also in combination with Dynamic. You can you can use them both. Well, you know, I think all of those things that are drag and drop. I think everything that's like a drag and drop design your page that is the devil. <laughs> that, that is not. Beaver, like, if you don't like Beaver Builder, builder they, really, they Dynamic often, is not really they, a drop. No. You know, it's a it's a page. Yeah, oh, well, they, they can add a lot of overhead. Uh, the Beaver Builder guys are supposed to sponsor one of our meetups one of these days, and and the the one thing I've heard about it that 
um, sounds good to me is that if you deactivate it, you don't just like suddenly get a collection of short codes on your pages. Your your pages actually still work I, as pages. I think that's a great point, Sally. You know, I I, I understand. <laughs> I think it's a very difficult area because I, I understand Annika kind because of, basically there is a bit of a delusion. You will you will get to a certain stage where where we, you're relying on these tools and you're going to find yourself a bit stuck. But on the other hand, it can help you get something up and running. And then if it if it's doing what you want, you can hire somebody. So there's there's a lot. Um, I like to move the discussion on about higher education, and you know, there's a lot of universities, community colleges that are looking ever more to put courses online. Um, it seems to be a driver to put as much of the courses online as possible. And I just want to ask the: um, Are there is it still, I hear a lot of people say they like the convenience of learning online, but also there there's some problems about online courses and the quality and the experience of students get from it. Um, and I like to ask Morton, do you think there, you know, there is there a bigger problem about doing online education and structure peculiar to the to the method, or is it just cost and time? What was your feeling? We're talking about? about higher education here, like Khan Academy type stuff, MIT. Um, is there are two very different conversations about this, right? You have like the services that are akin to what I work with, which is online training built specifically to be online training, uh, where. You know, everything is bite-sized. We design courses uh, with the intent of allowing people to learn things on their own terms at their own pace. So that's, you know, there's tons of companies that do this. We were the first company. We are the best company, blah, 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 Donald Trump, etc. And But then there's also other companies, right? So there's something else called MOOCs and MOOCs which are these massive uh, online, I don't know what it stands for, something. Uh, it's a fantastic acronym. Um, so all these big... Open online course, but yeah, I'm not quite Open sure. online course, I think. And basically what a, what a MOOC is, you have an academic institution, say University of uh, Tree castle, I don't know, some, some random university somewhere that decides that they're going to put their courses online. So you can then sign up for the course and then basically take all the classes online instead of going to class. So you could go to MIT without physically being in Massachusetts, right? What they see with the MOOCs is that you have about an 85% drop-off rate within the first two weeks or so. And it's simply because taking an online version of a classroom educational class is a nightmare it's just because you have like a professor in the front of a room talking to a webcam in the back of the room and then you have some distributed materials and your own reading there's nothing wrong with that it's just that it was never designed that the classroom learning was never designed to just be recorded and published online and that means if you are fan, like fundamentally interested in a specific topic let's say some advanced math or philosophy or whatever it's good. You can go into one of these services and watch a single course on something. But as a 
form of university or college education, it's proven to be very ineffective. That is solely due to the presentational style, though. I think if a university decided that they were going to do an online version of their classes and formatted their con content to be an online type content with interaction and everything else, it would work just fine. It's just a matter of realigning how you're doing the teaching itself. Now, what I've seen a lot of lately is this conversation about how I think a lot of people have realized there's money to be made on education online. So everyone is now publishing articles about how you can set up your own uh, website where you can do video training. Uh, I can tell you from experience <laughs> that <laughs> doing video training is a lot harder than you think, not just in terms of creating the content, but also in terms of production. Um, it's not simply sitting in front of a computer and waving your mouse around. You have to really think about it. And oh, that or not waving your mouse around it. so that you can make the edits. Yes. <laughs> you, this doesn't work. Just... Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So it's not like, it's not a something you can just rattle off and do. It's a job like every other job. Uh -huh. And uh, there's also a lot of infrastructure issues in there. Now, we have technology that can make it quite easy. Uh, there's a lot of video hosting platforms that allow things like that and stuff like that. But it's, you know, if you want to go into that you have to actually make a conscious decision to say I want to do this this is this is my job now to make online training materials it can't just be some sort of side project you're doing every other week or something like that because it simply won't turn into what it needs to be to serve the people who will pay you to get access to the content yeah uh, I think they're great points Sally um, to kind of See, in Britain, we had an institution called the Open University that utilised television. It's what it was. It was started in the 60s, and it has really built up and educated people to degree and master level. But it used television, but it used a hybrid where it used online television courses, radio, and then it would have like monthly or in the summer you would go and you would have a more classical educational experience for four or six weeks. So what do you think, Sally? Is it, that it, is it a cost thing that they, they just go into it to kind of cut back on costs? And well, I, I don't you know, think it's necessarily that universities are, are cutting back on costs this way. Is they, they, they often make these courses, you know, for which their students might have to pay big bucks, available to people uh, for free in these MOOCs. But the thing mm -hmm. is that what you get, what part of what you're paying for with your tuition is the opportunity to interact with the professor and the fact that you're, you know, taking the exams and you've got the accountability and the interaction. And, um, you know, I've looked at and, and used some of the uh, LMS plugins for WordPress and many of them have an opportunity, you know, they, they possibly all of them, in fact, give you the opportunity to, um, you know, put quizzes as part of your uh, thing and some of them to accept uploaded assignments and that kind of thing. Because if, if people are not, in most cases, if people aren't practicing or doing things, uh, they're not likely to be developing skills. Now, I mean, I have owned and listened to more 
courses from the teaching company, which I think now just goes by great courses. You know, they were great courses on tape, and then tape start, started to be obsolete, and they were courses on CD, and they're courses for download. And they make video ones and audio ones, but I always got the audio ones, and I would listen to them while I was driving before I got into podcasts. And you learn stuff. But it is a more sort of passive absorption. If you don't l- listen to them all several times through, you know, you're going to forget details and, and you're not going to, you know, you're not like doing additional reading assignments outside. You're just getting the lectures. So you learn something. You know a lot more than you're used to, but you don't get the same classroom experience. And I think Morton is, is right that if you really want to have successful online education where, where you can award people degrees, you have to... Uh, set things up, especially for that environment. Uh, and you're not going to be able to handle thousands and thousands of people at, at a time because the, the universities don't have the staff. Yeah. I'm going to ask John. Um, John, you got into web development as a second degree. How did you... How did you and I, don't, I think you just, you know, you started doing, you know, websites for yourself and friends and then you built it into career. How did you learn uh, now what, uh, had, what what was the process for you? Well, uh, for me, like when I first started, I actually uh, went to online school for almost two years. Um, and in, as far as that, like, you know, um, there is like access to a uh, professor where, and, and it was like kind of hands-on stuff. Um, I mean, uh, my big complaint about that part of it was a lot of the courses were um, like the the states that accredit uh, universities. So like a lot of the courses were like really unnecessary, and it was like a, a lot of cost. Um, the the stuff that I did learn uh, from like online university is it, it out of date too, because the accreditation process for um, universities it, it goes through a process and uh, it, it has to be approved by the educational um, organizations and that takes time now I, on top of that I mean I also did things like lynda.com and I did things like treehouse uh, which I think are like really amazing uh, as well but I think um, I think it's also really easy with something like Treehouse to do like quizzes and be kind of passive in in how you're learning. And I think to really get a good web development education, it's something in the middle where you have access to someone who's like mentoring you. Um, you have more hands-on stuff, um, but. I have to say, like, you know, with Linda, Udemy, Treehouse, the video production is, there's a lot of investment there. Um, And, you know, the production, as Morton mentioned, is is top-notch. You really have to, like, think about what you're teaching. You have to, like, write out the courses. You have to have a whole team doing production. Um, But I think there's a lot of value in those. You just don't get the one-on-one that you do with the university, but I think the the ideal solution would be somewhere in between. Yeah. What do you think, Adam? What do you think the you know yeah. how is do you do, do you think there's core problems or is it, or is it just a thing that's developing and it, it it just needs a bit more time and 
It's a great question. I think, and I have an opinion on this. Um, I've had this conversation quite a few times recently. Uh, I know that I could have a much larger, larger audience if I recorded, and I have recorded my class all five weeks at one point, just to have it as reference and maybe go back and watch it. And I stopped after the first half hour. Um, I don't need to see me, that's for sure. But if I recorded it, if I re- somehow set up my studio here and really record, I have a much larger audience and charge more or have more income. But truth be told, I like the interaction. And I think that's key for what I do and what I, the way I also learn. It's that two-way road. And you know, when I do a seminar at the SBDC, I'll do it for two. I'll do it for you know, 20, 30. Um, two is doable, but 20 is better because there's more energy, more questions, a little more. You know, I, I don't mind going off track. I bring it back based on the class at hand. Anyway, for it's really about, in my mind, it's you have to, uh, I, I like the energy. I like to be able to be in person. That's what people come for. I mean, the class I teach is relatively inexpensive. It's to the adult school. It's a great deal. My class is always sold out for the past three years. Um, very fortunate, knock on wood, very fortunate because there's cutbacks. You know, if, there's, if they don't have enough students to take the class, classes get canceled. Um, so there's a demand. So I might actually, there's always a talk about adding a second class, but then it's up to me if I want to do another night because it's, you know, it's nights for me to do it. Uh, I like the interaction. I like talking to students and I go out of my way and all of my students get a sandbox to play in. They get access to me for five weeks. Any email that you, they ask, I answer all emails, etc. So, um, yeah, I think the other thing is, I, don't, I just read a book about a guy who took the MIT courses online in one year. That was his, He did it for a whole year. It was called... Um, Here's actually The Happiness of Pursuit. There's a little plug for Chris Gillibo. I like his books. And he took, he spent a year, one of the guys he had studied in here, took, took a year, took all the classes, one year on the mathematics, whatever it was, and he passed all the tests. And now he has it. That was his pursuit for the year, which is fantastic for him. But um, he, he lost out on interacting with professors and having conversations with, with classmates and students and having focus groups and stuff like that. Even on, you know, even math, mathematicians. And, anyway, um, I think I still think in-person class, learning training is still stronger. I don't know how I want to word this. It has a lot more. Has to me it has more value in-person training and more vested if people are paid money to come than doing a class online. Doing training online is different. Like Morton said, you know, I mean, if I take a Linda class, that's up to me to take pay attention and, and, and put something in practice. But if I want to really get some feedback. I need to be with somebody, people around me. So. Yeah, I think that... And some of the... Sorry. Oh, Morton. I love Linda, and I love Morton. Go oh, Morton. Go so, I, I've been in a conversation with a bunch of people in higher ed here in Vancouver about this, uh, because the local government wants to invest a bunch of money in getting more people into our industry. And... One of the big challenges that large educational institutions have, like universities, colleges, high school, uh, what is it called? Universities, colleges, and polytechnics, is that they have a specific level of accreditation. So that you pass a class, then you get some sort of credit that says, you now know this. And <laughs> to get that accreditation approved takes about two years. So you can imagine if you make a web development program, it takes two years before you're allowed to teach that program. Two years in the web development world? I mean, responsive web design is five years old. So two years is just ridiculous. And what ends up happening then is the teachers will deliberately make these extremely vague definitions of their um, 
uh, of their programs so that instead of saying we're going to read this book and this book and this book, they give some very undefined definition and then the curriculums can change on a yearly basis. But that makes uh, accreditation extremely hard. So what ends up happening is you get this branch off hybrid thing, which is the boot camp schools. And I'm sure you have them in every single major city. We have several here in Vancouver. Um, the boot camp schools are generally like six to eight week long uh, courses that are extremely intensive, uh, where you often pay a thousand dollars a week for, for right. the school or more. Right. Um, but they're pretty much guaranteed a job because they're put into a real situation working with real apps or real websites that are exactly as if they were working in a real agency. And I think what we'll see over the next couple of years is that universities and the other big schools will start trying to adopt some form of this boot camp type uh, atmosphere into their programs, um, while the boot camps and everyone else will try to move more of their programs online so that you can reach more people. Because the problem with these boot camp schools is they'll take in maybe eight students or ten students. They can't afford, they can't handle more than that because they're so intense that you need to have everyone in the place at the same time. Adam's gonna leave. <laughs> no, not right now. He's oh, so horrified by the idea. Oh my gosh, I gotta go. No, there was there's one up by me. There's a boot camp and there was like a twelve week program, eight hours a day. It was like something like eight thousand dollars, you know, it's crazy. But you want right. to take it, right? You're like, yeah. I want to I try that. How, how much would you <laughs> charge for eight hours a day for 12 weeks? Yeah, I'd like to bring Annika Anka into this. Um, um, they've got some, broad, got some broad questions here. Um, first of all, what, what's your feeling about these boot camps generally? Um, well, I, I think boot camps are really awesome, and I'm working on a e-commerce with WooCommerce boot camp right now. Me too. So, oh, sweet. We should, we should talk about this offline. Um, but, yeah, so we're actually hosting a boot camp uh, here at TechLuminal for the next uh, few months and just watching the energy that goes into creating the experience and how they're, how they're looking at what, the, what they should learn and, and uh, going and talking to people in industry and saying, hey, what do you think people need to know? Is it Angular 1, Angular 2, whatever that is? Um, and they're trying really hard to give people this extremely up-to-date information um, so that they can they can do the job as soon as they as soon as they uh, get out of the boot camp, but I can say that I learned like zero like zero practical programming for my MIT education, but I learned how to learn programming languages. So when I got my first job, I had to program in something, and uh, you know spent the first couple of weeks going, oh my god, what am I doing? And then I figured it out. So can I, can I ask wait, quick, wait, wait, back up. You, you went to MIT. I yeah. did. And she learned nothing. I clearly have to go there. I learned a huge amount, but I learned like zero practical. Like the the my best class that was about how to collaborate with other developers. We used a language that the professor invented that is not used anywhere. Now they're doing that class in Java, but you know that is that is not important. I mean, when you're trying to teach somebody concepts, you don't need to teach them the specifics. And I think that there's kind of this um, this challenge both in terms of online education and practical skills training about how much underlying concept do you need to know before you can be effective. It, it, you don't have to know what, uh, you know, what object-oriented programming is or, um, you know, how to do all of these crazy algorithm questions they ask you when you go to interview at Google if you're going to be a junior developer doing something that is sort of fairly simple. 
So you can become an effective uh, developer, um, but you're going to sort of you're going to sort of uh, uh, hit a ceiling, and and that's where you have to really get to know more about the the concepts. So you can you say that what does what does the term developer in two thousand fifteen really mean now? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's one, two, three, no, that's what I mean, seriously, what does it really mean? You know? you ask, you ask five people and you get five different answers, okay, right now. It means everything. I think, you know, WordPress developer is like, what do you, like, you know, people come, come to me and say I'm a WordPress developer and they can barely spell CSS, but they can build websites. <laughs> so, that's okay. <laughs> I'm not making sure this is, I, can, I can't spell CSS, but I put a web developer, that's my shirt, I'm putting my shirt together for that, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. I can write, write that down. Hold on. Yeah, but, uh, that was actually a serious question, actually, because yeah. you know, especially when you're dealing with um, smaller clients or medium clients, they do expect, you know, I say to people now, I, I'm a consultant, but I actually know the technical side pretty reasonably, but um, I've got people that work for me that do more of that now. Um, so I'm more the kind of, um, deal, but the, the but the broad questions I get asked, I get asked from business development to marketing to the technical. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So I really don't know what to say. But I'm probably going off track here. But what I was going to ask you, um, do you think that a kind of because um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the Open University in Britain. Um, and I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. no, I've heard about it. I've read a lot of stuff about online learning, and uh, you know, we have a the Bay Area Free Public School here, and there's some like free classes to learn to be developers, and all yeah. this stuff that's going on. So but yeah, do you do you think because you know you you got all the costs of going to university and all the politics and social issues about. You know, should education be totally free, or you know, I don't think the particular. That, uh, yeah, I'm pre- not sure that subject is is even worth discussing. In a yeah, no, but I don't. Uh, I think for various reasons, a lot of universities they're gonna they are gonna have to change their structure. So, do you think they're gonna go to a kind of hybrid, where yeah. you have online courses and then you have literally meetups where you go back over weekends or three or four days to try and get that face to face input from your professor do you think it's going to go that way i think yeah absolutely i think that's exactly where where we're going um and partly because you can get a lot of great information from watching a video about how to how to do something but then to really put it in context talking to a person is the fastest and easiest way to 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 go and i think i think real quick i think i have to go real quick i think my last comment i think donald trump when he becomes president will fix all the educational problems in america okay. gotta go oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i'm totally kidding i'm not a fan okay bye. <laughs> <laughs> i gotta go bye, bye. i'll see you in los angeles um yeah well, I'll just ask and ask John. You know, John, um, if you do, you think you, you know, those two years where you were training, if it had been a hybrid where you've had the online plus, you could have gone to kind of boot camp where you you'd be in a group and you had would that have? Do you think that would have been a better, in some ways, a much better experience for you? Um, I think it would have been a lot more beneficial uh, because. 
I think when you're around other people, you're learning how to collaborate. And I think more when you're in an online classroom, you're you're more just all kind of on the same level except for the person who's teaching you. And um, there's only so much attention that they can give, like, each individual. But I think when you're actually, like, working together and putting something together, um, together uh, I think that's a lot closer to the real world experience and I think that would be a lot more beneficial yeah thanks sorry Um, Sally um, I I think uh, my personal opinion really effective higher education is really tough you know to really have courses that even the traditional online it's just really tough to get teaching is very difficult uh, and uh, you know, I was lucky to do my undergrad at a place that emphasized teaching, and, you know, I went to graduate school in a research university, as, you know, one does to, to get a PhD, um, and I was just horrified that none of my professors could teach their way out of a wet paper bag with a flashlight and a, and a map, uh, but that wasn't what they got paid for, really, and... So, uh, you know, I took a couple of kind of optional, you know, go for a weekend, uh, you know, courses on, on how to teach uh, and, uh, you know, wh- how you succeed in graduate school at that level is to be very self-directed and, you know, figure out what you need to know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to teach anything well. Um, and uh, it takes uh, it takes a lot of practice. And you know, when I was teaching at the University of Warwick, I changed my classes a bit every year based on what I learned in the last class. And I did the same thing with with the media bistro classes. And they were always sort of annoyed with me because I, you know, I, I wasn't reusing the videos I made the first time. I had to make new videos every I've just time. I've got to intervene. So, uh, I'm, I'm I, laughing. The chat is hilarious, well, yes. Yeah, we're getting some, we're getting, you can tell he's got jet lag because he's making some comments here. But come <laughs> on, come on, Walton. You know. Um, Sorry, I'm just ruining everything. Yeah, Sally was yeah. having some good points there. <laughs> yeah, she was, but you were making, you know, but, um, so, Morton, you know, where Linda, have there been kind of, there must have been some, I'm not asking any trade secrets here, but there must have been real discussions about how you improved the experience and the feedback. So, what, in general, what are, what do you see the future of online education? Is it mixing it? in a hybrid, offering online courses, but then in kind of larger cities you have um, drop-in centres. Is it a kind of, is that the future kind of hybrid model for the traditional universities and the online companies mixing, or is it just the quality of the online that just get better? Let's see. Uh... Only a small question. Answer your question. I will (laughs) say something else instead. No, the so what I'm seeing, uh, and I can speak to this from the perspective of teaching at a university. Um, What I'm seeing is that a lot of universities are uh, buying external services, like for example, Lynda.com, to offload some of their base training. So uh, I teach at a design university. 
and uh, the t all the students there, they get a Linda subscription for free. And then the teachers will come in and say, next time we're going to talk about advanced, uh, what do you call it, um, adjustment layer techniques to make uh, whatever kind of paint styles, right? And so before that, go watch whatever Deke course that talks about, uh, you know, adjustment layers so that you understand the technology before we come into class. And then in class, we'll talk about specifically how to uh, apply this. And like uh, Anka is saying in the chat, that's, that's what's called flipping the classroom or the flipped classroom model, where you basically have the students take the class or take the lecture before they come to class, and then in class you spend time actually focusing on applying what you've learned. Um, and I tried doing that myself when I uh, had my classes in the spring, where I would assign my students, instead of having a book, I would assign them different types of online courses or videos from WordPress.tv or whatever, and then have them watch that before they came into class, and then discuss what they had learned in the meantime. Now, the challenge with that approach is it actually requires the students to watch the courses, which is surprisingly hard to do in the beginning. And uh, the only way you can really get them to do it is by honestly telling them that if you don't watch this, the next class will be of no value to you because you won't understand anything. Um, and eventually they'll get on it. And it's I used to, to have trouble getting students to do the reading. And, and with one class, I ended up just giving them a quiz at the beginning of every class yeah. on, on, the, on, the, on the reading for that week. And, and it finally forced them to do it. But they, that's but what I was going to say. Like video, time. Yeah, video is a little bit easier to get people to do than reading because it's less likely to get... Uh, the boring level gets uh, is much uh, lower on a video because when people read, they often sit there and they read and they go, this is yeah. work. So like, the, the voice inside their head when they're reading academic text is a very boring voice. It's like, right? But if they're reading anything else, it's fun. But if, when they're reading academic text, it sounds like the boringest person on the planet. And when you have a video, at least it's a little more interactive. But um, I think what we'll see moving forward is um, a lot of these, uh, you know, schools will start adopting the flipping the classroom uh, practice where the teachers will start recording the classes before the class, having the students watch them and go back. Incidentally, we have a fantastic course on lynda.com specifically about classroom teaching using flipping the classroom. Uh -huh. Entirely separate from this. Uh, but uh, I think we'll also see a lot more focus on this idea of students learning things on their own and then coming together to work on things. Because what, what, we're, what we're observing is that the companies that hire people, especially in our industry, are more and more uh, requiring uh, people who don't necessarily know all the technologies, but know how to, first of all, learn them, and second of all, integrate into a group of people who are already working with something. Um, and those things can't be learned either by sitting in a classroom and listening to someone or by sitting at home and listening to someone. It can only be learned by actually working with other people. Now, that working with other people can happen online, but it needs to happen. Like, you have to actually interact with other people. It can't be simulated. And that's probably where things are headed. But, you know, with that comes cost. So it's a tricky yeah. proposition. It's, I mean, it, it, it is kind of like Anka said about learning how to, uh, how to learn things. I mean, you know, all of my education is in Greek and Latin literature and language. I, I have never formally studied any kind of, of programming. I started hand coding HTML in the 90s. Uh, 
uh, you know, by reading, you know, teach yourself HTML in a week and, and just doing it. But the thing is that I was a scholar, so I learned how to do research. And this is an incredibly helpful thing to me as a developer because, you know, I also work with Genesis. There are, you know, Boku de tutorials and code snippets and things out there about how you are going, how you, how to do anything. So I know how to find the information if mm -hmm. I don't know it already. And that's something, you know, it's like you have to teach people the study skills and the collaboration skills and then, you know, they can pick up changes in technology if they stay on top of it. And that's what a proper arts degree from a university gives you, is the yeah. ability to understand how to parse information or source and parse information and then verify it, right? That's, that's why all these extremely smart people in the world all have art. Everyone thinks that the arts are a waste of time, but, you know, everyone should invest in the arts because that's when you learn how to think. Oh, can't have that. Uh, and, um, <laughs> it's America, Walton. They're not into that. Uh, I'm so, oh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, so, basically, I was going to ask you, you know, I, I think, I'm not saying it's easy. I think it's, you know, HTML, CSS, especially CSS, it's a strange animal. Um, I, I know actual some high-level developers that hate dealing with front-end development. They actually despise it quite considerably. They just can't wrap their mind around it because they're dealing with CSS. No, they just uh, haven't the patience for it is what CSS mostly takes patience, not skill. And, uh, uh, you know, if you are a developer who works in a compiled language, it's sort of like you know your code and you know what your code is going to do. You don't have to, like, keep doing these little fiddly yeah. back and forth. Is that working yet thing? Yeah, I totally agree. So, uh, Anna, um, do you do, think... Do but when it, God, I'm trying to ask a question here. Um, <laughs> um, basically, um, you know, when it comes to CSS, HTML... You, I think anybody can probably learn it if they're prepared to put their hours. But when it comes to actually, uh, like PHP or JavaScript, a scripting language of a higher level, do you think anybody that's really committed can still learn it, or do they need the actual um, a kind of bit like music? You 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 need some internal ability, or you're gonna it, it's gonna be really difficult. Or do you think now? that anybody, even PHP or a high language, can learn it if they're committed. What, what's your feeling around that? I think that absolutely they have to be committed to learning. Uh, and CSS and HTML, to a certain extent, is pattern matching. So people who are good knitters are great CSS people because they like do a lot of pattern matching and stuff. But um, And even on the PHP side, there's a lot of stuff which is just you know, copy, paste, repeat, make sure you don't, like, screw up the semicolons, make sure that you use the right variable names. So there's a lot of stuff that's like that. But then when you're thinking about how do you model, um, uh, how do you model a problem so that you can develop the right software to do it, that's not something that you, um, that you learn. You don't necessarily get that at the beginning where you're just learning how to, like, make something orange or underlined. Um, but... You know, like thinking about object models and deciding what kind of custom post types you need in order to be able to effectively deploy an event management system or, um, you know, what, we're, what I'm actually trying to build for a university, which is a repository of 
courses and documents that they need. So we're trying to model the problem. That's a more of a computer science, more of a design kind of thing. It's not just a coding thing. So, and you can do all of these things in almost any language. So it's not the language that's the problem. It's the developing the right thought patterns and the ability to build on those. Um, right. So I just, I just want to pin because I, I want our viewers because I, I saw it as about education, but also giving some of the options to our viewers who might be intermediate or people that are beginning um, about you know some of their choices and the things they should look for on online training. Um, and I think we're given a bit of that. Um, but do you say to recap what I thought you just said? You know there are certain patterns, but you feel with as long as the person's got the right attitude and the time and the the commitment, they can you know they can still most people can learn a, a computer language. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. There's like a couple of things you have to get your mind over, like uh, and that's basically algebra. What's a variable? Once you get that, like you have a lot more power. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't learn. I didn't because uh, I, I suffer from dyslexia, so uh, um, I, I, I kind of I've always been good at business math. But I, I just forced myself to learn booleans and variables, and um, I can't. But I, I know some people, the people I worked, you know, they're in front. I've never been one of those people that can just sit sit in front of a monitor for eight hours, day after day after day after day, just doing hardcore coding. I can do it for a couple. You know, I can. No, nobody actually codes that way. Oh, I don't. I do. I People who will intensely code, but usually it's like. You know, you spend a lot of time thinking, and you spend a lot of time making notes, and then you spend a lot, of, and then you like write some code, and and then you debug it, and then you test it. it, it you know, uh, you don't spend all day every day just writing code. Yeah, the typing is not. The hard part. Sorry. But the typing is not the hard part. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple it's people. All of this that, stuff. Uh, there's a couple of people at the, I was working at the Reno Collective. They just wanted to code hour after hour after yeah, hour. That's because that's the easy part, right? When you know what you're doing, you just hash it out. I mean, I spent the summer writing uh, assembly for a computer game. You know, it's once once it's mapped out, you just. But it it's mind numbing work because you're not actually doing any thinking. You're just rattling out logic sequences. I think that maybe the most important part about your question, which is, can anyone learn it? Is anyone can learn it, but you have to make a decision about what you want to do because no one can learn everything. And I mean, you know, especially in our field, there is no such thing. Like you ask, what is a developer? There's no such thing as a developer. Yeah. There's a bunch of subcategories of developer, um, just like there's a bunch of subcategories of designer or anything else. And uh, in our industry, maybe one of the biggest problems we have right now is that people have often slotted down into a specialty very early on, and then they only know that one thing and nothing else. They have no idea what's going on outside, and they become completely devoted to this very narrow strip of whatever it is they know. Um, and we could probably learn a lot from how doctors are being trained, because if you train to become a doctor, you have to do a full rotation, so you end up working at every single department in the hospital to understand what they do. 
and understand how to classify a problem to a specific mm-hmm. section and how to st- talk to those people and relay information to them. And then later on, you, you decide what, you know, you either decide or you are slotted into a specialty depending on your grades and what I kind do of you understand. I do, understand I do understand where you're coming from there, but I also actually think there's, like most things to do with humans, there's pluses and minuses. Yes, yes, that, Aristotle, that that's mod, fine. That mod, the baker that can only be a banker, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's not like, true. There are very few things... There are very few things... <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> there, there are very few things in our industry that know that only certain people can learn. However, there are certain things that are um, infuriatingly hard to understand unless you have the right mindset. And that mindset means like there are some types of jobs that require a very firm understanding of logic. Um, there, just like there are some uh, parts of the work that require a very firm understanding of human behavior and there are other parts that require a very firm understanding of aesthetics. And those things are not easy to teach unless you have some sort of baseline that comes from when you're a child. So you have to have kind of have been, your brain has to be wired for it from childhood to be able to do it. And, you know, th- but that's just a matter of a broad spectrum education of children to get everyone ready for it. Yeah, I do understand what you mean. I just want to ask a question. I think I'm going to respond to you. I think that, you know, you you don't have to actually code to be a developer. I think that you just have to have a clear... (laughs) That's heresy. You get... I think that the first and most important thing about about that is just having a, a, a clear clear thinking, being able to, you know, maybe not advanced logic, but like basic logic, being able to say, being able to model a business domain. So if, you know, if you've primarily worked on the business side, you need to be able to describe how your business works in order to be able to build a program that does something to help your business. So that's an extremely valuable skill, and it's not related to programming, and you don't have to learn where the semicolons are. And I don't think that, you know, if you're dyslexic, it's not, that's not something that would stop you from being able to do those things. Well, I actually like it, actually. People, I had some people, had, oh, well, I've got all my libraries, and I've got all my, I, you know, and it disappears, and mm-hmm. actually it's logical. I don't, actually, people don't realize um, it's to do with... Um, Kromsky, you know, I think people learn language, and because it's a natural process, they dismiss the madness of, especially English, how crazy language it is. But when it comes to actual programming, a relief for me. (laughs) Uh, It has some logic to it, where English has no logic at all. Um, Absolutely. Well, English is much more difficult than a lot of languages because it is it is such a mishmash of imports yeah. from other languages. And, it's and just so a it's, total mess, Sally. It, it's You're not so right. consistent. No, uh, none at all. Absolutely none. Um, I was going to ask John, um, it's, a, it's a little bit off track a little bit, but I'm just dying to get this from you, John. Um, you're, you know, there's a lot of people in the where I, I work with that just love Genesis, and I've got a very... Um, I've tried to learn a bit of it, um, and I've got nothing against it because it, I, I'm really impressed with the quality of people in the Genesis um, world. You know, they, you know, they're, especially female developers, and just the quality of people in general. But I, I kind of wonder, you know, because they use all these filters and um, 
you know, uh, actions. And it's just, to me, it's just piling, you know, five years ago where WordPress was at a certain level, it made logic to me. But now I think WordPress has moved on a bit and I just think it's adding a, 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 another level of complexion that you don't really need but i mean such two minds because other people say you know if you put your head down and you learn it it really it's the bee's knees but uh, you don't uh, you you've stayed away from it is have you been tempted or what maybe you can give some feedback about it um you know i mean it's crossed my mind i mean it's just uh it's not anything that i've done like a deep dive into with genesis uh, with regular vanilla uh, WordPress, you can definitely add like actions and filters as well. Um, but I think I'm more in the camp that you are. Um, that when I first learned it, I didn't I didn't come to WordPress like through Genesis, and I just came to WordPress through vanilla WordPress. And I think for me, that's like easy. And as somebody like Bill. Um, they find Genesis like very easy, and I think a lot of people in the WordPress community um, like Genesis. And I think you should just use whatever tool um, works best for you. And I think Genesis is. I like is to very clarify well. that a bit with Bill. Yeah. Bill can speak for himself, but he uses this sure. little di- dynamic, which is great. It's a great tool. But I, I have pointed out to Bill that Dynamic and Genesis are, are you know, obviously totally linked, but they, it's also very different. Um, so, I've talk, but yeah, I understand where you come. You, st- you stick with one thing, you know. For me, I'm in, I want to produce and get things out for yeah. mostly podcasting. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally. Un- and I think the tool that he's using. Um, to allow Bill to do that, he's actually he took some advice from our WordCamp, and it was a great choice. Uh, Annika, um, was uh, what's your? Because you you said you you you're going in the Genesis route. What what has led you to decide that? Well, I chose Genesis because it has um, <laughs> Infusionsoft. Well, I I chose Genesis. Uh, primarily because it's structured in the way that my mind works. Um, so their approach to uh, your WordPress page is rendered in this way, and this information comes first, and then this thing, and then here is your content, and before the content you do this, and then there's a loop, and inside the loop, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff is just kind of how, how I think. Um, Oops. Oh, is she frozen? Um, oh, she's right back. Well, it's the first time Genesis, what's going on here. Um, but once I kind of grokked the flow of, um, of what, what, what it was doing and then where I could put the stuff that I wanted to put, it, it's been really, really, really great. And I think it's definitely um, made it faster for me to develop some of the sites that I do develop. Um, but, you know, I'm, I can work without it if the, if the type of site that I'm building calls for it. So I feel like it, yeah. Yeah, I think there's some real benefits because you know you do get that library of pre-designed themes. There's a big community. Um, you, you're dealing with more consistent, maybe style of coding than if you go to a general marketplace. Um, there, there are definitely um, obvious benefits, but also I think you just I think you put it well. It also, it's got to fit into the way that your mind works. I actually think you've. 
if you've done it using vanilla, it actually makes it a little. You got then really commit to yourself, and you think, why should I bother? You know, but I think that's your choice, isn't it? Well, what's your feel, to finish off? What's your feelings about this, Morton? About Genesis? Yeah, go on. Don't be outrageous, but just no. say what you feel. Don't be outrageous. No, be outrageous. Be outrageous. Genesis is a framework you can use to build websites on top of WordPress. I don't, like, it's just a framework. It's fine. I don't have an issue with it. It's. Uh, I think regardless of what framework you're using, we're going to undergo a massive transformation in our community over the next two years. And I'm very curious to see what that ends up being, uh, because uh, you know one of the one of the major challenges for people when they moved from static to dynamic content through content management systems was that all of a sudden everything got abstracted, and with um, APIs and JavaScript enabled apps, the abstractification—that's totally an English word—the uh, abstract. I don't know. It gets abstracted. Oh, my brain is so not working. You know, the yeah. jet lag's getting they, to you. It becomes you more you abstracted. Are, <laughs> it, it, make, it makes everything more abstracted because all of a sudden, even the functions that are happening are usually happening in multiple different files at the same time, and the development becomes more uh, disjointed. Uh, and, you know, for the people who work with WordPress on a development level, meaning they actually write about the code, uh, it, it'll become more challenging simply because of how everything fits together. Now, that's not to say it's harder to learn. It's just a different way of thinking. And I think that's kind of where everything comes comes together. Like The difference between using WordPress, a pure WordPress or uh, some sort of framework, either Genesis or something else, is you are approaching it in a different way and you frame your mind in a different way. And that's also why it's hard to get out of a framework once you're in it. You simply structure the way you think about it in a certain way. Now, when you throw an API on top of that and you all of a sudden get all these other things, then all that goes out the window because it's a whole new way of approaching everything. And uh, I think adoption for things like the API will depend largely on the willingness of the community to re-educate itself and to break out of its uh, current parameters because it's very safe and easy to work within what you already know. And you've invested a lot of time learning it. And then throwing it out and learning something (laughs) different will take time and effort that a lot of people will have to make a decision whether or not they want to do. And it's, it's, you're doing the full climb again from the bottom all the way up. And in addition, you have to reframe the way your brain thinks about certain things to get to learn this new, completely different way of doing things. Uh, I I totally, I I see exactly where you're coming from, Morton, but I'll just say it's also, you know, it's also your client base, the price. I, I understand why people really get in because you, it's a quality framework from a quality theme shop and it's got a great smaller community mm-hmm. and um, and you've got the cost base. You, you know, it's, always, it's always around the commercial pressures with, with best practice and it, 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 there's always a tension there. Um, and that, that's where I think. So I just want to uh, ask Annika what her center, you know, what courses, what things are planned for her center in the coming months because she's been a great sport coming on the show. So would you like, you know, what are your plans 
for the centre the next year and what's <coughs> new, what's coming up? Well, um, so my current, my current uh, mission is to figure out and create uh, learning experiences that help people learn how to use WordPress to build business applications. So whether it's like a storefront or some kind of a, you know, some kind of a management system of various sorts, and not everything is going to work with WordPress, obviously. Um, but I think that... What? Uh, what? It's not possible, is it? Yeah, man. Uh, I think, you know, WordPress is simple enough, but comp- it, it can be infinitely complex, but it's simple enough that somebody can use it as a tool to build uh, a business application out of parts. So you might use um, a plugin that gets you data from a third-party service that then you can use in WordPress. So like Infusionsoft, I definitely want to talk more about that with, with Bill some other time. But well, he, seems, he seems to have died on us. He, he started yeah, coughing and he disappeared okay. somewhere. Um, I'm not sure what's happened. So. But yeah, like you see Infusionsoft, Salesforce, LinkedIn, like all of these uh, data sources that people can extract data from. Okay. As people get more and more used to using the WordPress API and then using uh, JSON data, um, they're going to be pulling in all kinds of different interesting things into their websites. And that's the point where somebody who is a small business owner can have the same level of sophistication in how they interact with their customers online that Amazon spent millions and millions of dollars for in 1999. So I think, you know, the reason I'm committed to press is partly because I see it as this framework that, you know, it's like a dessert topping and a floor wax that can do all of the things in between. Um, and with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, mental gymnastics and re- reshaping your thought process, as Morton said, uh, you can use WordPress to do many, many kinds of things that, you know, you don't have to build from scratch anymore. Can you say that again, the floor wax? That was really original. What was, what it's, it's a Saturday Night Live sketch from that was the floor know, wax for the... Maybe, maybe the 80s. It was like, there's a couple arguing about whether this stuff in a spray can called Shimmer was a dessert topping or a floor wax, and it was right. both. Oh, thank you for that. I, don't know. I thought that was really original. Uh, but from a student of MIT, what you know, you should expect that, shouldn't you? Uh, um, that's <laughs> all right, folks. Um, I, I think it's time to wrap this up. Um, I think we've covered some interesting stuff, and hopefully, our viewers have got. Some you know of education and training in general, and I think we I try to keep it on topic, and I think we have contributed some interesting discussion here. And thanks, Annika. I keep making your name up, and I do apologise. Um, but you've been a great sport, and uh, I I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it's been you. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, for thanks, folks. Cut it, Bill the Wizard. Cut it. Cut okay. It. Cut 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 it.